chapter 9, verse 35. This is on page 1017 in the Pew Bibles, if you're using that. Okay, Matthew chapter 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey, or extra tunic, or sandals, or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there, and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not, come, will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. This is God's word. Hey, if you'd just like to say hi to the person next to you for a couple of minutes, I'll call you back in a moment uh, while I set up. Okay, well, I hope you'll be able to continue those conversations afterwards, uh, but let's pray together now. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word uh, that you d- and that you do, in fact, speak to us through it. Please help us all uh, to understand it uh, now and uh, help us to respond in the ways that you would have us. Uh, and we, we uh, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I remember uh, being told, you can change the world. Uh, I was working as a junior accountant in a sports insurance company uh, and the managers took us away on a uh, staff conference. I wasn't really sure what to expect But as I was sitting there, uh, a guest speaker sort of skipped up onto the stage. Uh, He was full of energy and he said, I'm going to tell you about my journey into the AFL. Uh, He told us about how he worked harder than anyone else to be the best uh, and it paid off because he became one of the best players in his team uh, and even even won a premiership. Uh, And as his speech came to a close, he said, you can make a real difference. In your job here uh, with this company, You can change the world. But as I heard it, I couldn't help but think, 
I'm a junior accountant. What can I do? And this guy is saying that we can change the world by playing football. But if we focus on that, all we're going to have is better football and big deal. It's not really world changing. So what are some other options? Well, phone companies say that uh, smartphones are changing the world. The contestants of My Kitchen Rules say they're changing the world one pallet at a time. But if we focus on these, then all we're going to have is better phones and nicer food. And again, big deal. But what about Jesus? What does he do to change the world? Uh, Well, we'll see that when Jesus goes about changing the world, it's a big deal. Uh, And there's three parts to it. There's a need, some workers and a mission. The need, the workers and the mission. So how does does Jesus know where to begin changing the world? Well, he recognises the need, a need for workers in verses 35 to 38. Uh, He's on a mission uh, and he's going uh, into town after town, preaching and healing masses of people. Uh, As he walks into a new town, he scans his eyes across everyone there uh, and, and he's moved because they're all completely lost. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Now, when you think about it, sheep are really quite silly. Uh, if I let my cat out at home, uh, she'll come back. But with, with sheep, uh, if the shepherd goes away for a break, then they'll just wander off and get lost. They'll follow behind any old leader. And really then, they're as good as dead. Uh, they're defenceless, just easy pickings for wolves. And here the Jewish crowds are lost and defenceless. Uh, they're God's people but they're being led astray by the Pharisees, the religious leaders of their day. And 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 we see that they're suffering. Uh, They're being taught a standard that no one can live up to. Uh, Just picture it today if all the pastors in Melbourne were dodgy. Uh, They they weren't telling the truth, they were lying, uh, and they were just wanting to line their own pockets. Well, that's what Jesus saw. Uh, We see it... uh, And this is why he's on about making a difference. And we see it in verse 36. It says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus sees person after person and they're all lost and suffering. God's own people have been led astray. And so then he says, We need workers to go out and bring them back. Jesus gathers his disciples together and says, look around at the crowd. Can you see what I'm seeing? The disciples might be thinking, well, Jesus, we can see lots of people and they're interested. They can't wait to see what miracle you're going to do next. But then Jesus says, there's a harvest field. It's filled with row after row with grain. It's all ripe and it needs to be brought in before it rots. Uh, or if you've done fruit picking, perhaps think of an orchard. Uh, there's acres of trees, every branch full of fruit. The branches are so uh, full, they're weighed down. It's, it's overflowing. It's all ready to be brought in. Well, Jesus is saying these people all around us is a massive harvest field that needs to be brought into the kingdom. Now, can you imagine how the disciples must be feeling about this? They're thinking, well, we've been, into over two, we've been into over 200 towns. There's been thousands of people all pressing up against us. And he's saying every one of these people needs to be brought into the kingdom. They must be thinking, this is overwhelming. How is it ever going to happen? 
And then Jesus says, well, there's a need. There's a need for more workers. The task is enormous, but the problem is that we just don't have enough workers. We need more people going out into the harvest field, more workers for the kingdom. And he says this need should lead them to prayer. Jesus says, pray for the workers. He knows whose harvest it is. It's the Lord's harvest. And so he said that his first thought is to pray before anything else. Uh, We see it in verses 37 and 38. Take a look. Uh, He says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So the first thing we've seen is the need, the need for more workers. But how does Jesus meet this need and change the world? Well, secondly, we meet the workers. Uh, Jesus enlists workers for the harvest. We meet them in verses 1 to 4. Picture this, the disciples are gathered together, they're praying for workers, and then Jesus says, come over here. Uh, He brings the twelve around him and says, you're the workers. You're the ones I'm going to send out into the harvest field. It's an instant answer to prayer. And so Jesus shares his very authority with them. They can do the same things as what he's been doing. They can drive out evil spirits and heal all sorts of sicknesses and diseases. That's what we see in verse 1 of chapter 10. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and heal every disease and sickness. But it's interesting that he chooses these 12 to be his workers. I mean, why choose them? Well, in verses 2 to 4, Matthew tells us who they are. And while to us it might just look like a big list of names, it's actually quite radical. And what's so amazing about it is that it's amazingly ordinary. I mean, who have we got here? Well, we don't know lots about them, but we do have fishermen, Simon, Peter and Andrew. Though fishing in the first century was sort of a blue-collar kind of a job, hardly anything high-flying. We've got a tax collector, Matthew, but... Tax collectors were despised back then and considered on par with prostitutes. And then we've got Judas who ends up betraying Jesus. So they're just ordinary, nothing special. Uh, They've they've not been youth group leaders, uh, they've not been to Bible college, they haven't done a ministry placement. Uh, But then Jesus chooses them anyway and he shares his authority with them. He says, you're my workers and you're going to change the world. So we've seen how Jesus is going to change the world. He's enlisted workers. And now thirdly, what is he going to get them to do? What's he going to get them to do to change the world? Well, we see the mission. Jesus says, I want you to join in my mission in verses 5 to 16. And he tells them three things about it. It's focus, it's cost and it's blessing. The focus, the cost and the blessing of the mission. So he says, here's the focus. I want you to do what I've been doing, to proclaim. He says, start with God's own people, the Jews. They need to realise the king that that they've been waiting for has come. And this is what you're to tell them. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's not a social gospel. It's not just about healing the sick and meeting the needy's requests, as good as that is. It's a message calling people to turn back to God. Uh, It's telling them the good news, that the kingdom of heaven has arrived because the king is here. And so the healings and exorcisms that the the disciples do simply back up the message of what they're saying. 
Uh, this is what the, Jesus is telling them in verses 6 to 7. Uh, he says, Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. So the focus of the disciples' mission is to proclaim uh, the good news of the kingdom. But then Jesus also says it's a costly mission. Um, he, says, he says, just as I went out, uh, so also you must go out with nothing. He's telling them that being a worker of the kingdom isn't a comfortable, cushy sort of a job. I mean, can you imagine it? He says that you need to throw yourself entirely on God's mercy. Uh, don't take any money with you, uh, no bag full of food, uh, no extra coats to stay warm. Leave your staff and your sandals at home. You're going to rely totally on God to provide. Uh, he'll raise up people to show you hospitality. Uh, they'll take you in for the night and he won't leave you out in the cold. And that's what he says in verse 10. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. It's not going to be comfortable. It's a costly sort of a mission. However, Jesus also, however we also see the blessing. Now, Jesus' disciples were to be a blessing to all who would receive him. In verse 11, he says to his disciples, go, out, go to the house of a worthy person and stay there until you leave. Now, he's not saying find the local mansion or the most moral person. He's saying find someone who will accept you and your message and then stay there. And then only if they reject you, go somewhere else. You see, Jesus took this seriously. He was saying, if you accept one of my workers, then you accept me. If you reject one of my workers, then you reject me. If you accept them, their mission will change your life. But if you reject them, then you'll be under judgment. And this is what Jesus means when he says, if they reject you, then shake the dust off your feet. It was a way of saying, you're under judgment. It means that the disciples' mission brought blessing and judgment depending on whether the people accepted or rejected them. So thirdly, Jesus sent out his disciples on a mission to proclaim, to give up comfort and to be a blessing to others. And this is how he changed the world. He saw the need, he enlisted workers and sent them on his mission. And so he met the need for the workers by enlisting them for his mission. But do you think that we still need to be changing the world today? Or is that job already done? I mean, over the last 2,000 years, there have been more workers enlisted. So, does that mean the situation's changed now? Or is there still a huge need? Well, in Jesus' day, the crowd were lost and suffering uh, under the Pharisees. But most Australians today wouldn't see themselves as being lost. I mean, we're prosperous. We're the richest society that's ever existed. We have all sorts of freedoms, like choosing where we want to live and what careers we want to do. And we achieve great things. Yet despite all our wealth and achievements, we're still suffering. And we experience broken relationships, health problems, and of course we still die. And no matter how much money you have, you still die. So wealth isn't the answer. You see, most Australians live for the four P's. The pay packet, the postcode, the position and peer approval. But all of these things fail. There'll always be someone with a bigger cheque than you. Although that you, uh, say, although that you live in Surrey Hills, uh, there'll always be someone who can brag they live in Turak. 
Someone will get promoted ahead of you and you'll always be endlessly trying to impress your friends. So these things inevitably fail us and when they do, we realise that we're lost. We're sheep that have been led astray. And it means that Aussies are facing a godless eternity. It won't be a giant party with their friends. It'll be lonely. There'll be endless suffering with no escape. And so we still need workers to bring people into the kingdom. And it's a huge task. I checked out the National Church Life Survey to get a picture of how big the task really is. Uh, It said that on any given Sunday, about 9% of Australians attend a church. But my guess is that of those, only about 2 to 3% really know and trust in Jesus. That means 98% of Australians don't know they are completely lost. They don't know Jesus. 98%. Well, to put it another way, if Mel and I had 10 kids, then only half a child would be a Christian on average. If we're ever going to reach Australia with the gospel, we need more workers. You and I need to be praying for more workers. And how will we meet this need to change the world? Who will the workers be? Well, we saw that Jesus enlisted the 12, uh, the 12 apostles, but we don't have apostles today. Uh, we haven't been given the same authority as them. Uh, so who are the workers today? Well, perhaps it's Chris and John. I mean, we're paying them to do kingdom work, but really the harvest is too big to be just left up to them. The task is for all Christians. As a Christian, God has called you to be a worker of the kingdom. Everywhere you you are is a harvest field and God God wants you to be bringing people into the kingdom. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that you have to give up your job and do it full time. Uh, no matter what your full-time job is, you can be doing great work for the kingdom. Uh, with the people you meet at work, at your family gatherings um, and, and in your neighbourhood. Do you see yourself as a worker of God's kingdom? But for some of you, it will mean doing it full-time. It could be as a missionary, uh, in student work or even as a pastor. Now, this is what Mel and I became convicted of. When we were part of the Christian Union, we became convinced that there's nothing more important than telling people about Jesus. So we decided to do what's called a Metro or MTS apprenticeship, which is two years of full-time training being equipped to share the gospel with others. And while I was doing it, I remember being on a mission trip to Warrigal. I was helping the students to prepare talks and testimonies and Bible studies to share the gospel with others there. And while I was watching them share the gospel, I just thought to myself, I couldn't imagine doing anything else with the rest of my life. Uh, now, uh, and I couldn't imagine not doing it full time. Now, this is our journey, but that doesn't mean that it will be yours. Uh, but is it something that the gospel convicts you of? So for some, it will be full time work, but for all of us, it's kingdom work. It's full time for some, but kingdom for all. Uh, And we need to remember that Jesus enlisted 12 ordinary men to be kingdom workers and he used those men to change the world. Their work brought people to faith, established a church and created schools and hospitals. And because of it, there have been billions of people brought into the kingdom for all eternity. If Jesus can do that with 12 ordinary men, then I wonder what he can do with the 70 people here tonight. So we're his workers and as his workers, what's our mission? 
And what, what are we going to do to change the world? Well, the focus is still the same, is to proclaim. Of course, uh, we're, not only procl- we're not just proclaiming to Jews like what they were back then. Uh, Matthew 28 tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. So we're proclaiming the gospel to everyone. Uh, and that's our message. Our message is the good news of the kingdom, the gospel. We're to tell everyone about the king who came, uh, who lived a perfect life and who died and rose again. Uh, our mission is to tell others about the gospel. But this is still a costly mission. It's not comfortable. It involves giving up your time, your energy and your money. It may involve uh, saying no to promotion at work so that you have time to share the gospel. Uh, it, can mean, uh, it means using your breaks at uni to be involved with a Christian union or opening up your house uh, to host a Bible study during the week. But if you and I really want to reach Australia with the gospel, then surely we'll be willing to sacrifice a bit of comfort to do it. You see, the speaker at my work conference said, you can change the world. Uh, but I knew I couldn't change the world in my job as an accountant. I was just counting people's money. And it's just silly to think that we can change the world by playing football, uh, cooking or having better phones. Uh, But Jesus says you can change the world. As a worker of the kingdom, you have the power to change it by proclaiming the gospel. And we're all in this task together. So let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you.